makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart. It's a good day for all of us to be here. This is First Voices Radio. I'm Teokerson Ghost Horse, and this is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices Radio. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as firstvoicesindigenousradio.org for archive downloading and listening. And I would like to express my appreciation to all of you listeners. And if you have been irked by anything you've heard here on First Voices Radio, or even if you have to make a silent disclaimer to the content you've heard, then hechetuelo, or it is what it is, and so it is. And I, as your host for these few decades, have only intended the history, education, and cultures of Native peoples throughout the world, including the rooted earth thinking that would be a great strength needed now amidst the struggles humans are having now, and the conversations I'm having with humans striving to be beings of human, to give a different perspective on how to understand the source of who we are, but of earth and her truths, the source. One of consciousness is returning guest and friend of First Voices Radio. His name is Ed Kabodi, who is a multifaceted creative from the Tiwa village of Kapo'owinke and the Hopi village Shungopavi. And besides his creative expressions hearted in his language of Hopi, he also gives form to paintings, drawings, civil craft, and multilingual musical compositions. He also considers himself an edutainer and uses the arts and music to educate people about social justice issues related to the indigenous peoples and lands of the Colorado Plateau. And Ed has a reggae rock band, the Yotis, that's The Yotis, known for his catchy melodies, lively performances, and conscious messages. And I say hello to Ed Cabote and go to a deeper understanding in conversation as we breathe what we say and continue to example how experimenting and living experiences are the difference in being here and not caught up in the future or the past. So enough of my words, and now we listen to the energy created here with our friend Ed Cabote. It is of great honor to hold this time with you, Ed. All right, good to, good to see you as well. My friend, good to see you. And I just want to uh, say hello to everybody out there as well. With respect to you, 
Kore ari kea to a kapo winge ari komope winge o hosongi iweri. My name is Ed Kabodi and I'm from the Hopi village of Sungopavi, the Tewa village of Kapo Owinge, aka Santa Clara Pueblo. And yeah, very grateful to be part of this discussion. It's good to have you here, Ed. You and I know what it is to perform for the colonists. You and I know performing as native people, we're not performing for them. So go to the quick. It's about understanding the earth. Does the earth charge us? Mm-hmm. for drinking its water does the earth charge us for eating the food it gives she gives uh, mm-hmm. for breathing air does the earth charge us how much of this dominative thought process is applied to well it shouldn't be for free yet we're we're supposedly in a country where the land is free yeah it's it's an interesting paradigm you know um and i think a good illustration of the conflict of worldview is really illustrated today in um, uh, land acknowledgments. I mean, what does what does it mean, you know, to give an acknowledgement that you're on unceded lands of an indigenous group, and what responsibility are you going to follow up with when you make that type of acknowledgement? Because to me, when we acknowledge a truth a corresponding change in our action needs to occur. On the other side of the coin, I personally feel that from my indigenous heritage, from our perspective, you know, there's not such a thing as land ownership. When we came into this world, we were given permission to be here. And this is a very important story in our culture because we in our human condition had created chaos for ourselves. And we sent messengers into this world and were invited by the steward here, the great spirit, to come into this earth. And if we could live here as he lived here with a focus on living in harmony with the cycles of the sun, the moon, and the stars, living in simplicity and always focused on the movements of the sun, the movements of the lunar cycles, the movements of the uh, constellations, being mindful of those things as we walked upon this earth. This land was never ours. It's the land of the great spirit. And we are humble, welcome members, but we were also given a warning that if we would not live with that simplicity, that we, if we would live in a way that sought selfish gain, that our days would be shortened here. Whereas the opposite, if we would live with that simplicity and that harmony, our days would be prolonged. And that, to me, the, the living in simplicity and harmony means, well, the harmony part is that we need to be in rhythm with the earth, understanding what's happening in us as well as outside of us and that there is really no separation. And how far back is that history before 1492 that the Westerner in common does not know about how long we've been doing this, you see, with the earth. It's a short time to know who we are as Native Americans because you and I remember a time when they were calling us American Indians, hyphen American, Native Americans, indigenous peoples, First Nations and 
and all of this. And all of a sudden, I wind up in the BIPOC era. And <laughs> when did I join the colored people? I'm not, I'm not saying that this is the, was the, the terms applied to the black folks, colored people. And now we are part of the colored people. But wait, we have culture. We have culture. Is it to say now we're part of the, the race schematic where we have to deal with their ideas of how to treat race and racism? Mm -hmm. Yet it's really about the earth to try to uproot us from our culture to put us into people of color rather than people of cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting observation. I think even beyond that, you know, there are stereotypes that Native American people fall into as well, you know, and even I think the perception of the larger culture looks as a, looks at us as one people, whereas we're diverse people, oftentimes in conflict in our worldview. We're not the same people. A Hopi is not Navajo and a Navajo is not Tohono O'odham and Tohono O'odham is not Lakota and Lakota is not Choctaw and Choctaw is not Seminole and you know et cetera et cetera and so forth and so on. We all carry very distinct histories, very distinct languages, very distinct cultures, very distinct worldviews and I also look at that as something that needs to be broken uh, from the mindset of the larger culture, we need to see the diversity. And it's if when we see that great diversity that I think uh, we can stand together better in solidarity, understand with understanding. And, you know, you went back to the land management and, well, I, I like land acknowledgement, then it's been managed by somebody else to say, this is how you must live with the earth. And you must do it responsibly and give it, give your taxes, pay your taxes. And we're, I'm thinking, where's the follow-up? If we get the land back, does that mean we get our language back? This is kind of a jump. Are we trying to explain modernity as if it's dying, hospicing modernity? And yet, as, as you say, we're all different as Native nations, is that each one of us have been culturally managed like the land, you see, you can't go here. You can't worship in that sense of worship. You can't have your languages. You can't speak it on your own land. Finding that way out of it, it seems to be where we are at as Native people. Mm. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point about the, what we have in common. Because we do have that in common, being herded, you know, in a sense, by the government, you know, onto respective reservations, you know, in the case of our people, you know, we're, we're, we are in the same places as we were at time of contact, the Pueblo and nations. However, you know, we've also had our life way severely affected, you know, by the lines that have been drawn around us. I do think that that does represent a very strong area of solidarity and kind of what you had mentioned as well as like the the BIPOC label just because I do feel like we need to recognize our great diversity but I also see a great strength in recognizing the common social injustices that we've experienced 
you know, as people of color, you know, so to speak, um, it's part, the common things that we share are the experience, the negative experiences that we have with the social justice system, the negative experiences that we have working with education systems, education curriculums, our stories being suppressed and our our understandings being shut out of larger conversations. Yeah, experiencing shorter conversations or no conversation at all about the history right. that you and I go through every day. I like to say that, you know, oppression can be measured. You know, no matter how rich or how poor you are, but it seems that way of living is kind of distracting us or making us bypass the earth. Mm. And what what's you know the like a, a native people were sitting beside this river and looking at this mountain and all the, the the animals and life that was there and just sitting there listening. And their river is running, and and down the river comes a ship. And lands and unpacks everything and sees this this beautiful land and then chops the whole forest down and builds a big building with a steeple on it. And they all go inside and you hear the singing and the praising and and the native people are like, what's going on? And so they come out and said, oh, we're talking to God. Mm. And the native people can't understand because we're listening, mm. you see. There's a difference. And wait, you, you just chopped it down, you mm. see. And that still carefully has to be uh, mitigated, I guess, uh, negotiated as to how much of this native do we have to give up in order to go into that church, right? Mm. Are we taking all of this, chopping our, our forest down so that they can understand us? Or now is it the other way around? Because the earth is, is calling, calling mm. us all back. Yes. You know, and this is our experience here, not someplace else. This is our experience here in Turtle Island, but they're still defining it for us. Mm. What you say reminds me of a quote from uh, Quana Parker, and I don't think I'm going to say it right, but he made the comment, you know, that when he's, you know, said to uh, the people around him, you know, he says, when the white man goes into his church, you know, he goes in there, he talks about God. He said, but when I go into my lodge, you know, he says, I talk to God. That's the difference. You know, I thought that was a very powerful statement that he made. But also, I think you've, in your comments, you've integrated a, a real important dynamic of our understanding of higher power. And that's not only our relationship with create with the creator, but also our relationship with creation, because all of those things speak, all of those things uh, have a voice that reveals to us things about ourselves, things about our world, things about the nature of God, like you express about sitting there, listening, listening to the voice, listening to the breath, listening to the heartbeat of Mother Earth. I really do feel that 
that is one of the universal things about indigenous people. I mean, I've stressed already how we're so diverse, but I think one thing that we do share in common is that reverence for the creator, reverence for creation and an intimacy with our environment around us. It's different for every indigenous group. However, you know, just like environments are different, but there's a very strong connection with each one to the cycles of the circle of life, <laughs> for lack of a better term, ar- around them, you know. As you're speaking, Ed, I'm, I'm here you talking, singing about the river, mm. that river, and you're expressing the river's dream while they're damming it upstream. Yes. You see, and where is uh, the disconnect with relationship? It's it's the relationship, and because of the language I'm using, versus the connection that they use, the connection language, like we can plug in and out anytime. But and then then I was interviewing an, an elder, which I'll be talking to again, an eighty some year old elder. Mm. He was talking not he was not dropping wisdom or knowledge or information. He was talking about the experience. You know, we have so much information and knowledge we don't know what to do with anymore. Right. But it's we're lacking the wisdom. And yet they're coming to native people as if mm. we have wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying, no, we have experience with this land and we could tell you that. But when you put us and he was also saying um, that we don't have books written about God. And yet. There's all kinds of books written about dogma and God, and they still can't figure it out. It's like a mystery they're trying to figure out where we just kind of accepted it. That's who we are. We are that listening. I wouldn't say God because it, it's difficult to say that in my language because Wakantanka doesn't mean God mm. or dogma. Mm. It's relationship. Mm. This is where... Um, I can't very well express myself in, in English very well, but my language is like burst free, like, ah, oh, it's how it feels. And now I have to talk another language as if I'm missing everything. Yes, I, I feel that uh, latent in indigenous languages is a whole nother way of seeing the world. I feel like... Even the greetings that we use, even the descriptions that we have of things, even our names for things like you mentioned in your language, you know, the the term to describe the energy, the 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 energy of higher power, the energy of the spiritual, you know, it's very difficult to translate those things, those things are inside of the language and uh, difficult to express in English, which to me is a very secular type of language. It feels like it's it's been detached. And I think you can feel that in the language, the detachment from nature that's in that particular language from the lived experience of centuries of colonization. That though that that connection somehow is is not there in the language anymore. Mm. Whereas when I hear you 
use your language and speaking your language. I, even though maybe I can't understand it, I can already sense it. I can already feel it. I can already, my spirit can relate to it. No, I think that uh, in short, I, I often say that it's non-conceptual, not doesn't have an agenda because the agenda is already there, Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't quarantine her from doing what she has to do, but yes. I'm, I'm restricted in this language to think I can control the earth, control the you know, everything. And and it feels confining and it feels like there's no way out. But let's go on to the ideas of the the context of ancestral, where we see now climate change is really the grieving and the global warming is the grieving as a symptom of what we have not respected enough. And we want to measure climate change. We want to measure global warming and how can we begin to change of who we are being and how we are being in relation to the earth. And that's like, can we give you an answer? I don't think we can, except for our experience here and how, in a sense, Ed, it's difficult to understand to some people, but I say to others, it's like, I don't sky god everything. Everything is not, everything is here. <laughs> and if it's here, then I'm aware it's here. Because how can I get up there if I'm not aware of the launch pad, so to speak? How do we sustain that? That's a very, very powerful concept. I actually feel like our conversation about language kind of also ties into this because, again, the worldview, a worldview is tied up in that. I do feel like in this modern industrial age that we live, that this is where we think from. You know, we no longer think from our heart. And I think that is one of our major problems that we don't recognize that the problems that we have are not only coming from our actions. The problems that we have are coming from the mindset that we operate by. We're in this mindset of more. We're in this mindset of ownership. We're in this mindset of drawing lines. You know, we're in we're in a totally different mindset. Like you say, the rhythm of Mother Earth, a very different rhythm. The way she moves in a timeless way, not according to our schedules, not according to our chaos. Everything in this world follows the natural order of the seasons, the cycles of the seasons, all of those uh, trees and plants, all of the animals, they all react in their way to the changing of the seasons. The only one that's going 24, seven, 365 days a year is the two legged. You know, we haven't, uh, we have detached ourselves and we continue to move that way to detach ourselves from the natural order, I feel like when we think of what can we offer, we always want these quick solutions, these quick fixes. You know, you drive up to McDonald's and you order, but that is not that is not really the way to bring about a meaningful change. To me, we have to stop and we have to listen and we have to reacquaint ourselves with the relationship of Mother Earth. And realizing I have to 
standardize my language to concepts. I have to default to English. But that's not my first default. It's not what I feel and think from. It's, it's I have to come from it and go to the heart. Or descend or ascend, whatever. Descend to the heart. Let's go to the heart. Rather than knowing that I can't say that in local. I have to come from the heart. That's the thinking goes through the head and that mindset you're talking about. But the question I want to ask you is since it's leading me to, to ask this question, are we the living prayers of our ancestors? Wow. That's a, that's a deep, that's a deep question. I, I feel personally very connected to ancestors of mine. You know, I do think that as Coming from the Southwest, the scientist refers to sites, our ancient sites, as ruin sites. But those aren't ruin sites to us. Those are living places. There's still a very strong ancestor connection with those places, you know. And it's and again, we have our own history. You know, the scientists they have their theories about the way tra- people traveled, about the way trade relationships works. They have their theories and they keep adding to that. But really, it would be probably really helpful to them if they would just ask us because there is a very strong tie to the beliefs of our ancestors and even an unbroken ceremonial tie, you know, that goes back to many of these places as well. I think when I sing a song, and I'm, I'm not talking about songs necessarily composed in English, but maybe sometimes. But I'm thinking more of traditional songs in my experience as Hopi, in my experience as Tewa, that fill me with that instant sense that I'm interacting with ancient wisdom, that I'm interacting, you know, and hearing the voices. And as you say, the prayers of my ancestors, feeling that, Perhaps their prayers for our strength and continuity is answered, you know, when we share those things, you know, among ourselves, when we express ourselves in a traditional way. I'm privileged and blessed to be here at the Colorado River in this sacred place of the Grand Canyon. These sacred waters are the most endangered waters on this continent. This river, the most endangered river in North America. This is a song for her. The river is winding across the land Carving its passage into the sand How can we find the mystic mind of the river? The river is reaching out to the sea Carrying her wisdom and her beauty I say, are we feeling the beating heart of the river? Shai di 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 
And poisons twisting her veins. I say, are we feeling the bleeding heart of the river? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shai di 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 bong bong. Shai di 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 bong bong bong. Shai di 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 bong bong. Who's the river? Yeah. Shai di 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 bong bong. Shai. Welcome and return to First Voices Radio. I'm your host, Teokas and Ghost Horse, and Ed Kabodi, who is a multifaceted creative edutainer from the Tiwa and Hopi Nations. Ed Kabodi, who uses the arts and music to educate people with, about social justice issues related to the indigenous peoples and the lands of the Colorado Plateau. So let me note that the song Ed Kabodi sang was the river. So let's cue the second half of our conversation and listen in again right here on First Voices Radio. I'm Teokasing Ghost Horse. Quite often I find myself not even having room for myself in this language, but when we go into the, the ceremonies, it, there's room for everybody, not mm-hmm. just humans, not just humans. Mm-hmm. People call us animists or animisms, right? Mm-hmm. We are animism. And I'm like, no, we're, we're astralisms. We, yes. we speak in, in cosmos and our language is cosmology. Ah. And, and the respect for the Hopi is the same feeling because that energy doesn't have to be named. You know, it's there. We don't have to solve it. Who are we to think that we can solve who and what, where God is? Mm. And to me, that's the deeper. Why do we always have to standardize so that we can own God, so that we can take God into war? 
in the name of God, we can put God in, in, in our money. And well, what are we doing to ourselves? That's what I wonder to, to this um, prophecy that we're living, this prayer mm-hmm. that we're living as, as Native people, as well as other people, too. We're not leaving other people out when you or and I are talking. It's just that our story as Native people has not been heard. True. Yeah. And I, I think in sharing our stories, you know, that's when we are able to heal ourselves. There's so much trauma that our people have walked through. And when I say our people, I am talking collectively as people that are indigenous to both continents of North and South America, as well as the Caribbean islands, as well as Hawaii. We've all had our individual traumas that we've experienced we all carry that pain that's that is one area that we can all stand in solidarity solidarity together against that and for one another but i feel like in sharing our stories that's where healing is coming for us two things happen number one is when an individual experiences trauma and they hold it in it becomes its own emotional cancer. It becomes its own darkness within them or within us. And the first step of healing is crying out, whether it comes out as anger, whether it comes out as blame, however it comes out, it needs to come out so that we can begin to heal just like a festering wound, you know, to let go of that. And our stories have been suppressed throughout the history of this country, when we are given opportunity to share our story, we're bringing healing to ourselves. But also, I feel that we're now giving a broader perspective and understanding and hopefully an an opportunity for other people to heal as well. Um, Because I would not trade my life for anything. I would not trade where I'm from. Don't get me wrong. When I talk about social justice and I talk environmental justice and I talk about things happening on my land, don't be confused because I would never, ever want to live anywhere else but home. I would not want to have been raised any other way than the way that I was raised, you know. But I feel that when we're sharing our stories, you know, and we're sharing the injustices that we've experienced. It also demonstrates to the larger culture how sick they are also, mm. how sick they have been to, to bring all of these things upon our people. What happened in World War II with the genocide of Jewish people and the climate of anti-Semitism we're shocked by it and we're appalled by it and we say never again and yet we fail to recognize that that's exactly what took place here the indoctrination of the youth being fed a reality that really wasn't reality the american dream which really to many people is an american nightmare but in sharing our stories i also feel like it gives opportunity for people to recognize that as well. And I'm talking in the larger culture now, not in indigenous communities. They also have to heal as well. They have to come face to face with their issues, but they need to reach back further. And this goes back to our discussion about language. 
go back even further to a time when their own people still had that connection to Mother Earth. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know, because everybody is native to somewhere. And somewhere in those ancient philosophies of the European tribal people, so to speak, way back there somewhere is also their own sense of spirituality, their own sense of interacting with mother nature and the cycles of the sun, the moon and the stars. Along those lines of ceremony, when this is an enactment of who we are, yes, we can do the event of a ceremony, but then we look to science from the outside, but yet it's happening on the inside, which creates whatever outside. So I'm thinking that, that you know, the, where I'm living now, the, the Onogonwe, the, the Mohawk, the, the, the peoples around here have their condolence ceremony. The Lakota have the wiping the tears ceremony. It's our grieving processes. And we haven't been allowed to do that for a long time, at least till 1978. Now here we are. We're being able to do that, and maybe they've been tainted a little bit, but it's still in being able to, to take off the taintedness in order to be pure with that ceremony that's 100,000 years old. Like the Aborigine people, they're a 100,000-year-old sustainable culture. And yet our reference points are always to the two, three, four, five thousand 5,000-year-old civilizations. And like, who are we performing for? The sustainable culture with the earth or civilization who's trying to control 99%. Yeah, that's pretty profound. I've never really thought about, um, you know, how in history we highlight the, the civilizations. I mean, I think you're right that once we stepped into that modern-ish way of viewing the world, you know, as about ourselves, as about civilization, as about self-advancement and those type of things, you know, I think you've got something there. <laughs> I think yeah. that's a really good point because Native American people have always and often been accused by the larger culture as being uncivilized. And not that I have ever felt that way, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I mean, I feel like our culture is uh, very strong and very civilized, very mindful, very focused. But because it is in tune with the primitive, I guess is what we're going to call our relationship with nature. I mean, that to me is a much needed and probably could be considered a very advanced way of thinking to be conscious, constantly conscious that you're a welcome member on this earth. You're not the conqueror of this earth. You are part of creation on this earth. You're part of that wonderful cycle. And as they remind us in Hopi that we're part of that water cycle. Mm -hmm. And when our body goes into the earth, our spirit rises just like water vapor rises and mingles with the clouds. And in that sense, you know, every time the rains come, in one sense, it's our ancestors also interacting with us. It's all of that creation tie that we hold together. And as my godfather has reminded us, water is what connects us all together. And if we could all come together as water in humility, perhaps holiness would flood back into us. As Ed speaking, 
I'm drinking water, but where does the water go? You know, the cultural etymologies is much easier for Native peoples who were living in remotely in North and South uh, the continents, Turtle Islands and um, Abiyala, is that the remote Native peoples seem to have um, retained. So how much of this have we gotten away from? And, you know, the Hopi were remote, right? And so this is still ingrained in us how to live with the earth. And I think that's what's coming through. Yeah, I, I do think that it, the remoteness of Hopi, its geography, has been a blessing. Um, however, it is also part of our covenant in coming into this world as Hopi. That again, kind of returning, returning to what we said about when we came into this world, that we were charged to live in simplicity. And if you visit Hopi, you'll recognize there's no rivers there. Our people have been 100% dependent upon the answers to their prayers for rain, for their existence for the last 1,000 years in Hopi. In the oldest continuously inhabited communities in all of North America, Songopavi, Walpi, or Jaivi, all being established about the year 1000 or slightly before. So, I mean, literally, we've been in the same place, places for a thousand years. The promise to us from the Great Spirit was that if we would live with simple technology, that we, if we would take up his example, take up our planting stick, the bag of seeds and a gourd full of water with that simple technology, if we would live that way, always conscious of the cycles around us, and we would seek not to live in dominance, not as warriors, but rather as priests, you know, that if we could come to that place of humility and return there continually, that is what would expand our life upon this earth. And I think it's remarkable how that has played out in today's world, because yes, we've taken our hits as well. Yes, our culture has been affected by boarding school systems and industrial mining. But that promise to us, if we would live in simplicity, that our lives would be prolonged, our cultural life ways, our language be prolonged, it has played out true because the people have dedicated themselves to that old way of life. And to the degree, degree that we've done that, I feel like we've stayed strong, we've sustained who we are to the degree, degree that we've let that go. We've lost. Wow. The storm is a feeling it's almost over. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not because COVID was just here. That was all part of it to indicate that there may be something else coming. And to respect this virus as a, as a being came to change, 
came to enact an intelligence that this is what we're missing, the respect for things that come from nature that change. And it's bringing us closer and how to bring medicine. She showed us that things came back and everybody was uh, last year, at least they were outside and everything's wow. There's no cars moving. There's no jets. And well, there's a lot more chipmunks. There's a lot more squirrels. But they were always there. You just didn't see. And that's how much we've blinded ourselves with things like technology. Right. That rings true to what I know of the Hopi, the human beings, is when I first found out my brother's a Hopi and sister's a Hopi were, they have this instruction. And what could happen is that Hopi prophecy or technology, where is that leading us? Yep. And now, now Ed, I, I see and I read things, of course, and there may not be enough of those resources left to even have technology in the future because they're right. being used up and expended. Yes. You know, we say defend what is most sacred. Defend what is most sacred. I meditate on that here and there. I think of the sites that are precious to us. They're all related to that most sacred resource of water. It it always comes back to that, the preciousness of it and how we do need to advocate for those that don't have a voice in this system that we've lived in. And we've done it to ourselves. We've created a world where we don't hear the water. We've created a world where we don't hear the voices of the animals. We don't recognize the balance that they live in. We see them as resources that we can control. We see them as threats to our own existence. We use up the resources that we have without giving back. And as you say, I fear that that's what our future holds for us because the precious gifts of water and land and breath are not limitless. They're gifts in the consumer way that we live. We're just eating everything up. The prophecy that you refer to, you know, is that some of us will continue a path without thought for where we're going, just like a herd of buffalo jets being pushed off a cliff following one another that way. But there's some that will recognize, step away from it. And that's hard to do in this day and age. What a difficult thing it is to swim upriver today, to make conscious decisions to go against our own comfort, to go against our own advancements When we recognize that it clashes with the cycle and the movement and the harmony of Mother Earth. Yeah, I do fear that we're moving that way, but the hope is that there's a group that recognizes that will make a hard change. We always in history, both I think what I see in world history and also what I see in our own history of our own clanships, et cetera, 
there's a common theme and that's just that human beings have a great talent for screwing things up. <laughs> that's the unfortunate truth that you see uh, in both history and uh, in some ways views of prophetic reality. However, there's also hope in humility, in crying out. Wow. You know, I have a, a angst. The earth is crying out for her children to return. But um, my body's not built to go to space. My body's not built to live on the moon or Mars or even a spaceship. But look how many people have the illusion that's what we're going to do. What's wrong with this place? It's just how we're living here. Could be there, there's not a solution, or if we just let it go, the earth will heal everything, medicine, mm -hmm. everything, food, and that big honor that it is to talk with you all the time. It. Thank you. Do you, you do you have the first word, the last word? It's well, I guess I would just like to express my appreciation for uh, the organization of this summit for having these hard conversations, for reminding ourselves of the sacredness of Mother Earth, reminding ourselves of our responsibilities on this earth. When we live outside of the cycles of nature that really we fight against ourselves. I'm grateful that we're having a hard conversation and I hope that some of us are willing to step off of that path and cry out and in humility, try to learn how to inconvenience ourselves so that we can once again be content in the world around us, as you say, so that the world can heal and bring to us healing as well. Thank you in our relationship and beyond. Thank you, Ed, for being here. Good to be here. Thank you for everybody. To everybody, everybody go with blessings.
As we go out here on First Voices Radio, that's, that is Rule the World by Michael Kiwanuka from the album Love and Hate 2016. Well, before that was the last segment of First Voices Radio's Ed Cabote. Ed is a multifaceted creative edutainer from the Tiwa and Hopi Nations. And again, I want to thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. My name is Teokus and Ghost Horse. You can support First Voices Radio by going to alcantuinstitute.org. And I want to thank Global Resilience Summit, heartmindinstitute.co. Doksha Ake Wachinktelo. Take me somewhere I'm 
Take 